You know, one of the things that I'm uh, kind of con- continually convicted by, sometimes I think because of the advent of social media and the availability we have of, of so much information, uh, that literally for most of us, while we're, if, if you're hanging out with friends or even if you're at church or you're going to sporting events, we have so much access that if something happens worldwide, we know about it instantaneously and people have their opinions on social media. And, and I think one of the dangers of that, the bad side, there's a great side to it, but the bad side to it is, as I see over the course of the past decade or so, a, a rising cynicism, because we've seen so much, we have so much information, that it's really easy to get cynical about things that are taking place. And I think especially in a political climate, and, and maybe even more so this political season, uh, I see this rising cynicism that we can see uh, within our country. But this past week I was out and I was uh, kind of hanging out with my family. We were doing some shopping and some different things. We happened to uh, be walking through a store and they had this whole big display set up with some uh, American-themed clothes and some different decorations and stuff for the house. And as I drove by, there's like this wave, or as I walked by, there's this wave of kind of nostalgia, seeing these things and, and just this sense of American pride kind of hit me. And I thought, as much as we can get cynical about kind of what's happening in our country and some things taking place in the political season, we still live in the greatest country in the world. And and when we think about the amount of people that sacrifice to be able to give us the freedoms we have, even to gather together like this, it's really huge. And so like Chris shared, I just want to kind of reemphasize that that this weekend, I know people are already at the beach and hanging out, and maybe tomorrow you're doing some of those things or grilling out or whatever, and I want you to do all those things, enjoy all those things. But I never want to get away from the idea that we need to not only celebrate these things ourselves and, and remember and, and, and pray a prayer of thanksgiving to our Father for giving us the freedoms we have, but also I want us to be able to teach these things to our children because I think part of the problem is, is that we, we think everyone just kind of knows that everyone already, and I think we take it for granted that people have sacrificed and, and died uh, to give us the freedoms we have. And so as, as you gather together this weekend, please try to remember to do that. Um, but we're in the middle of a series called The Creed. And back when I was in, in sixth grade, I was going to a middle school that had a JV football team. And, and our high school had the varsity football team. And, and in sixth grade, I was a really little kid. And I was really young. And all the seventh and eighth graders were much bigger. We even had some ninth graders that were on our team. And, and so I got talked into trying out for our middle school, our JV football team. One of my friends talked me into it, and, and so I went out that year, and I was one of the smallest guys on the team. Uh, I was kind of a bigger guy, but kind of sm- short and, and squatty, and, and so I went out and I tried to play, and I was getting beat up by the bigger kids, and, and I was getting kind of run over and all those things, and, and it was a great learning experience for me, but not only was I the smaller kid, the run of the team, and getting beat up and, and, and knocked down by the, bigger team, by the bigger players on our team, but we were also, our team was one of the smaller teams. We were at a smaller school, and we played some bigger schools. And so because of that, routinely that year, we got beat up and, and, and kicked down by a lot of the teams that we played. Uh, so I was really feeling it that year, but I saw something uh, that was taking place among our team. And we had a really, really good coach. In fact, uh, now that coach is one of the biggest, one of the best coaches in the Pinellas and Hillsborough County area. But back then, he was just a middle school football coach. And he's teaching us some principles and teaching us some great things we could learn. And our team was getting progressively better throughout that year. And we came to the final game, and for us the final game was a huge game. We'd only won a couple of games, but the final game for us was a rivalry game. Now I'm pretty convinced for the other team it wasn't a rivalry because uh, they didn't, they, we barely ever even came close to beating them, and there's not much of a rivalry if, if you're not really competing with the other team. But for us it was kind of, they always beat our varsity team, they always beat our JV team. So for us, the end of the year, we said we want to beat this team. If we lose every other game this year, as long as we win that game, 
uh, then we've had success. It's kind of like for me going up watching Florida Gators, as long as we eat Florida State, we were good. <laughs> but <laughs> Some like that, some didn't. But, but for us, we thought, man, if we can just beat this team against all odds, literally David versus Goliath, and we have a chance to beat this team, we would have had success as, as, as a team. And so that final week, we had been growing together as a team, but that final week in preparation for that game, we practiced harder than any other week we'd had to practice all season long. In fact, our coach, like kind of seeing throughout the week the, the work they were putting in, literally it was blood, it was sweat, it was tears. The amount of work that they put in that week, you knew something different was taking place. Even as young sixth grader, I knew, man, our team is practicing hard. Even in the rain, one day it was raining, Coach, man, it's really raining a lot outside. And Coach gave us the option, hey, guys, we don't have to practice today. It's really, really raining hard outside. And the team said, no, Coach, we've got to get better. We're going out in the rain. And we practiced really hard that week. And we came to the game, and I don't remember much at all about the game, but I remember two things that happened pre-game to that particular game. First of all, immediately before the game, the coach gathered us on the field, and he had this big pre-game speech prepared, and he, guys, he said, guys, gather really, really close to us. Get really, really close here. And so the team gathered in close, and he said, guys, you guys have fought harder this year or this week than any other team I've ever coached. And you guys have sacrificed, and you've worked hard, and you've done an incredible job this week. And I want to let you know, I'm, I'm buying all that hard work that you put in. I'm buying it for this dollar. This dollar represents all the hard work that you put in. He had a silver dollar that was with him. And we had gone over to Tampa to play against this team. And it was this big, big school. But they had the worst football field that we played on all season long. It was basically a cow pasture with two goalposts at the end. That's all, it, really all it was. It was a terrible football field. There were potholes all over the place. But we got out in the middle of the field, right at the 50-yard line. And he said, guys, here's what you've done. We're the, we're the away team here, but because of your hard work this, this week, you've bought this field. And he dug up a little bit of the turf with his foot, and he took that silver dollar, and he put it in the turf. He said, this is now your home field. Now go play like it. And I'm pretty sure if you go to Tampa to that school now, you could probably find a silver dollar buried at, at, at midfield. Like, it's probably still there. But the second thing I remember, and I remember this kind of even more real, like more vividly in my, in my memory as a sixth grade kid. I remember the bus ride over. Because normally the bus ride over for the team was a fun time of kind of bonding together and we'd have fun. And, and normally the coach kept it separated because we were a small school. We had the cheerleaders at the front of the bus and the football team had to back at the back of the bus. We weren't supposed to intermingle a whole lot, but we'd joke around back and forth. This bus trip, there's no talking at all. It was probably a 45-minute trip. And I remember getting on the bus as a sixth grader. Not Like I sensed something was different. There was a seriousness to the team all week long, and there was kind of this little bit of a, a good uncomfortableness to the team. I remember sitting on the bus and just sitting in absolute silence for 45 minutes, and you could feel the pressure building. You could feel the, the focus narrowing. You felt all those things as, as teammates, and you knew there was something different about this week, and there was a heightened sense of uncomfortability. Well, I'm convinced that we as believers, that part of our growth as Christians is that our lives are supposed to be marked by a level of uncomfortability. We work really hard at becoming comfortable, but I think part of our lives, in fact, what we're going to talk about today is part of our lives is supposed to be marked by this idea of being really, really uncomfortable in a good way, but a good uncomfortability to our lives. See, as, as Chris mentioned earlier, we're in the middle of this series called The Creed. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of John chapter 14. I want to share with you some really cool things out of John 14. We're going to look at this. Uh, but before we get to that, 
A couple of things that we want to share. First of all, we're in the middle of, of the Apostles' Creed, uh, going through the Creed, and we've been using as a jumping off point for this series, the Apostles' Creed. And we talked about, here's some things that we believe, foundational stuff that we believe as a church. We believe in the Bible as the Word of God. And then we get into the Apostles' Creed. Two weeks ago, we talked about God the Father. Last week, we talked about God the Son, Jesus. And I want us to see this because we're going to look at the Creed that we've been reading up until this point. And I want to see something. I, I love the creed. I think it's, very, it's, a, it's a great tool that's been used throughout church history to define here's what the church believes. People have lived and died for Orthodox faith, Orthodox Christianity. And this, in a nutshell, says here's what we believe. And I think it's really valuable, and I love the creed. But I have one exception to it, and I want to share that this morning. Here's the creed so far to where we're getting this morning. It begins with this line, I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. So it begins with this teaching about God the Father. Then it gets into the teaching about God the Son. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. So we have this teaching about God the Father, we have this teaching about God the Son, both giving us a little bit of information, and then we get to teaching on, I believe, in the Holy Spirit, I'm expecting more. And it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, then it goes on to all the other stuff we'll get to in the subsequent weeks. And that's all it says. And I said, wait a minute, hold, hold on a second, we talked a little bit about God the Father, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We've talked a whole lot about Jesus, it says about Jesus, he's... Uh, his only son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, was buried, descended to the dead, third day rose again, ascended into heaven, and see the right hand of the Father, come to judge. He talks all this stuff about Jesus, and then says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and that's it. And that's all the creed says. I looked at that and said, well, why, why does it do that? Like, why does it talk about a little about God the Father and a lot about God the Son? But it gets to the third part of the Trinity, and there's not a lot of information. And then I started thinking about, okay, but what about us as believers? See, I think for most of us, and I'm not, it depends on our church background, all that I get. But for most of us as believers, we know a little bit about God the Father. We know a whole lot about Jesus because we're like Team Jesus. But when it comes to the person and the function of what the Holy Spirit's role is in life of the world and in our lives, we know very little. And some of that does depend upon your, your church background. In fact, I know that we have people from all different church backgrounds, from, from non-church, having not grown up in church, other from different backgrounds. So if maybe today, if your background was like maybe Pentecostal or Assemblies of God, you might have more information about the Holy Spirit. You might be saying, okay, we're talking about the Holy Spirit this morning. That's what I'm talking about. It's about to get real up here. We're going to have dancing, and we're going to have tambourines, and the flags are coming out this morning. Like if that's your background, you know that that's how it can be. Or maybe you grew up going to a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church. Thou shalt not talk about thy Holy Spirit. <laughs> because thy Holy Spirit's function is to point people to Jesus, not to... Or maybe you grew up not going to church at all, and you start to talk about the Holy Spirit, one of the words used for the Holy Spirit, one of the names is he's called the Holy Ghost, and, and you wonder, like, what is that all about? Is it about to get weird? Like, I don't understand all that stuff. What I want to do today is I want to look at, okay, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? What does it actually teach us? And, and how is that important to everybody here this morning? I think this is a really big deal. As we look into this, the scripture we're going to look at, as we look at our text, I think this is a really big deal. We can't talk about all these topics. 
But real quick, a couple of things just to lay a foundation for what is the Spirit's function? What are some of the things that He does? First of all, I want us to know this. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Godhead. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's just as much God as, as Jesus. He's just as much God as the Father. All three of them function inside the Trinity. He is present both in the Old Testament and in the New, in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, we have this event uh, that happened, a historical event called Pentecost, where the Spirit is poured out and crazy things happen. But it does mean that's the first time the world's ever seen him. He was present in the Old Testament. He was present in the New Testament. He is a personality. He's not an it. We don't refer to the Spirit as an it. He's a, he's a personality. When I was in college, I had to write a paper on the personality of the Holy Spirit and some of the things, some personality traits that it says about him in the Bible, uh, things that, that, that are there, and, and things he has intelligence, he shows feelings, he guides, he can be lied to, he can be resisted, etc. Once salvation happens, a couple of things, the Spirit starts to... To, to, to be involved in our life. At salvation, one thing, he indwells believers. That means if we are children of God today, if we've chosen to follow Jesus, at the moment of salvation, the Spirit comes, he lives inside of us, and he acts as a conscience for us. So he indwells believers. He seals believers at salvation. He gifts believers. What that means is as we gather together as a church, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit now gifts you as a believer to have some sort of function together as a church to reach the world with the good news of Jesus. And that means that at the moment of salvation, if we've chosen to follow Jesus, that God, the Holy Spirit, has somehow begun the process of giving you a gift to help build up God's kingdom. That's part of the Spirit's function within our salvation. And finally, while his purpose is to point people to Jesus, he also has specific functions himself. And I want to look at a little bit of this this morning. Like I said, if you have your Bibles, open up to John 14. And we're going to read verses 15 through 17. Now, if you have the Bible app and can highlight it, the unfortunate thing about the app is you can only highlight a verse at a time because I want to focus on two words in particular as we kind of kick this thing off this morning. Two words that for me are incredibly powerful and really, really, literally incredibly encouraging to me as a believer. Uh, in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus is trying to teach his followers, teach his disciples that, hey, I'm not going to be here. I'm here for a season, and I'm going to be gone. But as I get ready to leave, he says this, verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, those two words together, another helper or another comforter in some translations, which I love. Uh, another comforter to be with you forever. We're going to come back to those words in just a second. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So I was talking about the indwelling. The spirit dwells with you and he's going to be in you. But real quick, we're going to jump back to that verse in, in verse 16. Jesus is speaking. God the Son is speaking. And he says, I will ask the Father. So God the Son, speaking to God the Father, about God the Spirit. And he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you, and he uses these two words. Now I know it's Memorial Day and there are a lot of people that are out of town and I want us to be able to walk away and say, hey, I got something this morning everybody else didn't get. And so I want you to leave this morning having been Greek scholars. Uh, so you're going to learn a lot. No, we're not going to actually be scholars, but we're going to learn some stuff this morning because the Bible was originally written, uh, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And there's some things we can kind of pull out. And in particular, these two words. When it says he'll give you another helper, uh, those two words I want to talk about. First of all, the word for another. Get this. There are two Greek words that could have been translated as another. They're very similar words. But the one word is the word alas. A-L-L-O-S. 
the other word is the word heteros, H-E-T-E-R-O-S. Now, each one of those words could have been used here because each one of them, when it translates from Greek into English, uh, it translates as other. However, Jesus, when he's speaking, chooses to use the word alas. I want us to practice our Greek this morning. So everybody together say with me. Say the word alas. Alas. Say it really loud. Alas. Good job. The word alas, as opposed to the word heteros, the word alas means another of the very same kind. Whereas the word heteros means another of a different kind. So Jesus, when he says, I'm going to send another helper, or I'm going to send another comforter, he's saying, I'm going to send someone, alas, another person, or another part of the Godhead who is the very same kind as myself. So Jesus says, listen to his disciples who are afraid. Man, Jesus has been teaching us, he's been leading us, and he's telling us he's going to go. He says, listen, before I go, I want to let you know I'm talking to the Father, and I'm asking him to send another who's the very same type as I am. And then he says this, the second word, the word helper or comforter, is the Greek word parakaleo. Uh, it's actually a compound word of two different words, para and kaleo. But we put them together and it says para kaleo. We want to practice that word together. Say para kaleo, para kaleo. All this means, and I want, to, I want to have someone help me out. Denise, could you come up and help me out real quick? I know she got scared and freaked out by this. But Denise, I'm using you for a very specific reason. Coming up here, very simple. But here's the thing about the compound word para kaleo. It's two different words. The word kaleo means to call alongside of, uh, to call, and the word para means alongside of. So literally when we see this word here that's translated as helper or comforter, uh, sometimes you hear the name that's used for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. It's literally the, the English version of the word para kaleo. And what para kaleo means is to call alongside of. So all you do when you, when you encourage someone or, or you come as a helper is you call that person alongside of you. Now, I use Denise because, Denise, you're an encourager. You love to encourage people. And when that happens, when you call someone alongside of, of you, if, if you're hurting, if, if you're suffering, if you're down, and a friend pulls you alongside of you, that's encouraging. Thank you, Denise, for helping out. You did a great job. So, so Jesus is speaking to the Father, and he says, listen, here's what I'm about to do. I'm going to ask you to send another one who's the very same type as myself who will serve as a helper or a comforter, and that they will come along, that the Spirit will come alongside of believers and will act as that helper or comforter. So he says, here's what part of the Spirit's function is. The Father's going to send this one, very similar to myself, very the same as myself, to be that encourager, to be with you forever. Jesus says, I'm only here for a little while, but the one who's coming to indwell you will be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. And Jesus promises the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell believers. A little bit later, we get in the book of Acts, which we'll turn to in just a second. As we get in the book of Acts, we see that take place. We see Pentecost take place. And it's outpouring the Holy Spirit and, and things, crazy things start to take place. So what is it that the Spirit does within his function in the Godhead? A lot of things we already talked about, but there's three things I want to focus on this morning. If you have your Bible, slip over just a couple of chapters to John chapter 16. The first thing he does is he convicts the world of sin. John chapter 16, verse 7, it says this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus again speaking to his followers. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, I want you to get this because Jesus is there. He's there with his disciples, and his disciples have chosen to, follow, to give up everything to follow Jesus. And they're like, man, this is awesome. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> trying to wake everybody up. But he's saying, this is awesome. Jesus is with us. He's trying to help us out. And then Jesus says, but, but I'm going to leave. If that's me, I'd be a little bit freaked out by that. But he says, when I leave, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He says, if I don't leave, the, the helper, the comforter is not going to come. But if I come, he's going to come and he's going to convict the world of sin. He says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Now, when it says the world here, it's not talking about those of us who are believers. I've heard sometimes teachers, even pastors, say the Holy Spirit's function is to convict believers of their sin. And there is conviction that's involved. But the idea of conviction, it's it's a legal definition to say that you're guilty. And as believers, we realize that our conviction has been placed on Jesus. So the Spirit's function might be to have conviction in our life and and to, to kind of lead us to repent of some of those decisions we make. But the Spirit's function specifically is to convict the world of their sin to realize their need for salvation and to point people to Jesus. So the Spirit's function is to convict those who don't believe to become believers. And then once they become believers, to guide them towards truth. So when, when we see Jesus saying, Here, here's what you really want. I know you think you want me here, but when I'm gone, the Spirit's going to come. He's going to start convicting people of their sin. And then Pentecost takes place. And if you've ever read through the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, we see at times thousands of people coming to realize who Jesus is because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because of what took place. So Jesus comes and says, listen, the first thing the Spirit is to do is to convict the world of their sin. And it says in verse 10, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you will, know, you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare these things to you that are to come. And then it says in verse 14, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He says, here's the Spirit's function. It's to convict the world of their sins and, the, and to point believers towards truth. There's a second function of the Spirit, though. The Spirit also is meant to empower believers. Flip over to the next book in the Bible, the book of Acts chapter 1. And Acts chapter 1 is right before Pentecost is about to take place, and Jesus is giving some of his last words to the church. And he says this, and I love this. He says, but you will receive power. The word there is dunamis. You will receive that that dynamite power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, listen, as believers, we have to realize that at this moment we're going to receive power that comes from the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the problem is that for you and me, we have the indwelling of the Spirit, the one who gives us power. But we often quench that spirit, say, I I don't want to, that's scary to me, that makes me uncomfortable. When I start to submit to the Spirit's power in my life, He's going to lead me to do some things that I'm not comfortable doing, and He's going to lead me to say that I can accomplish things that I don't think I can accomplish. 
But when we don't do that, we deny the Spirit's power in our life. You see, if we're genuinely believers, if we're genuinely uh, children of God, if we've accepted Jesus, and the Spirit's indwelling us, and we start to face some of life's biggest challenges, and we answer by saying, I can't, we're denying His power. If we say, well, I want my family to get along, but there's no way it's not possible, there's too much drama, we're denying the Spirit's power. If we say, man, I want to beat that addiction, but there's, I just can't do it, we're denying the Spirit's power. If we say, I really want to act like I should act at work and be able to, to, to say the right thing and, and speak truth into people's lives, but I just, I'm not strong enough, I'm, I'm not capable enough, we're denying the Spirit's power. If we say that I can't control my temper, like I just can't, I've tried and it's impossible, we're denying the Spirit's power in our life. In just a second, I'm going to show a picture. And the picture, I want to know right away if anybody can identify what car this is. Here's the picture. Now don't say it, don't say it. Who already knows what this car is? Handful of people. On the count of three, I want you all to say just the, the brand name of the car. One, two, three. Bugatti. That's a Bugatti right there. It is the fastest street legal car in the world. It's been tested at 267 miles per hour. 267 miles per hour. Now, and it's, it's built to go fast. Like, they built this thing strictly to go fast. Now, here's the thing. If I had keys for this car right now, now, it's, it's about $300,000. So if you have that spare change and want to buy this to donate to the church, that's awesome. We'll, I'll test drive it for you. But, but if not, if that's not the case, if you do, we've got to talk. <laughs> but, but if not, if not, we're going to dream for a second. And if right now I had the keys and this car was, was parked outside and we had just a, a mile and a half long runway, I said, hey, I want to give you the keys and let you drive this. I just want to know by, by show of hands, we're going to kind of eliminate people as we kind of talk through this. If I gave you the keys and said, I don't know, this thing probably goes like 0 to 60 in like 0.7 seconds. I have no idea. But, but whatever it is, if I gave you the keys and, and there's no kids in the car and it's safe, we're on this long runway and there's nothing else around us. If I said, I'm going to give you the car and I want you to hit that thing, go to 0 to 60 as fast as you can, who would go at least 60 miles an hour? Yeah, most of us. Keep your hands up. Don't put your hands down. I want, I want to eliminate people. Who would say 100 miles an hour, no problem, I got it? Still a lot of hands up. Who would say 150 miles an hour? Still a lot of hands up. How about, some people are like, no way. 200 miles an hour. Still a few. How about 250? 250, that's kind of going really fast. Who would say, no way, I'm topping that thing out. If it's 267, I'm going 268. That's us right there. Man, that is awesome. Okay, awesome. Put your hands down. You guys are troopers. Now, here's the deal, though. What we say is that if this thing is built for power, I want to have all the power that it has. If we're raising our hands saying, I want to experience power, we're sitting here, if you're a believer today, saying, but I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. And He's powerful. He builds us for power, but we don't live according to that power. We live according to saying, I can't do these things. And the Spirit of God is trying to say, listen, I want you to drive, my, 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 drive me like a Bugatti, and you're driving me like a Pinto. Like, it's not working. There's power inside of the Spirit of God living inside of us. And we're sitting here saying, I don't, I don't want to ramp that thing up. I'm afraid of what would happen if I really started to surrender the Spirit of God in my life. 
And it, and it, it doesn't work. The Spirit is building us for power. He's indwelling us to give us power, to be an influence. To see, I can beat that. I can fix my family through the Spirit of God's power. I can beat that addiction through the Spirit of God's power. I can chill on my attitude. I can be a witness for Jesus through the Spirit of God living inside of me and making a difference in my life. Because the Spirit does that. The Spirit gives us power, but instead we're giving in to a cheap alternative to the original. See, there's this, this old guy who's really, really smart. His name's A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer said this, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus and the things of the Spirit are all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. He says, we've gotten really comfortable and we've replaced the real power of the Holy Ghost with a cheap synthetic power and we wonder why we don't have victory. We have the Bugatti inside of us. We have the dunamis power of God and we don't live like it. Why? Because it would really, really make us uncomfortable. Because the third thing the Spirit does, I'm going back to where we started this whole thing at. So the Spirit convicts the world of sin. Spirit gives believers power. And the Spirit comforts believers. We began that passage in John saying the role of the Spirit is to be another comforter, another helper to come alongside of us, to call us alongside of us, to be that encouragement. The problem is when we start to pray for the Spirit's power in our life, we pray saying, God, I, I want to make a difference. I want to experience the Spirit's presence in my life. It leads us to seasons of vast uncomfortability. I was reading a book. I read the book a while ago, but I was looking back through it in preparation for this message. Uh, Francis Chan's written a book about the Holy Spirit. And as he, he talks about kind of how, how sometimes this part of the Godhead is, is just kind of forgotten, called the forgotten God. As kind of, this part of the Godhead is often forgotten. He talked about the Spirit as, as being the comfort in our life. And he asked this question, why would we need to experience the comforter if our lives are already comfortable? And as soon as I read that, I thought, man, maybe, maybe that's our story. Maybe that's where we've gotten as, as a country is, is we've longed so much for being comfortable that we've settled for that, saying, I want to be comfortable. And if I become so comfortable that I no longer lead, need the comfort in my life, we're not allowing the Spirit to function as He should. Why do I need the comfort if I'm already comfortable? But, if the Spirit, His power lives inside of me, and He starts to lead me to positions, He starts to lead me to places, He starts to lead me to conversations that everyone else wants to avoid because they're really awkward, they're uncomfortable, but the Spirit says, no, I want you to tackle that thing head on. He says, but as you go, I'm not going to leave you alone, but as you go into these periods of being uncomfortable, I'm now going to function as the comforter coming alongside my child who is vastly uncomfortable right now. And he leads us into positions where, man, that's an awkward conversation and it's hard to hold that person accountable and I gotta, I, I gotta go and share my faith with this person. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. And he says, I know you're gonna be uncomfortable, so I'm gonna come as a comforter alongside of you and give you strength where you think you have no strength. And so we ask ourselves the question, 
God, where's your spirit leading me right now? And here's the thing. I want you to ask yourself that question this week. And I started asking myself that question. And, and I started asking in, in, in light of two things. God, first of all, God, what are you trying to accomplish in my life? And the second thing, what are you trying to accomplish in life of our church? A couple of months ago, I had, we've had multiple conversations about over the next five years what it looks like. And, and one of the things, we've, we've, we've had a great chance to partner with organizations locally and internationally. We've done a lot of really, really cool things. And we kept having this, this conversation. A lot of people, even new people have never been on, on some trips, said, hey, man, when we go and build homes in Honduras and do some stuff that we're doing, that, like that, I see why we do that. It's really cool. And, and, and so it started feeling like, man, God's leading us to do some stuff like that. And, and we've done a, a lot of stuff over the past couple of years. I think we built nine homes in Honduras and Dominican Republic. And, and, and it's, we kept coming back to that. And then uh, about two weeks ago, I was kind of getting ready, getting, getting near this part of the message. Uh, we, we got a, a, an update on Facebook about Afe, our group we work with in Honduras, saying, hey, we have need for a lot of homes to build over the next couple of years. And they kind of been slowing down a little bit. We're the only ones really building a lot of homes there. And they said, we have a lot of homes needing to be built. And then out of the blue, we kind of had, we're working on some stuff for the future. And, and they came and said, hey, uh, the group we work with, Trash Mountain Project, said we actually had some searches back out this year. We shouldn't think there were any opportunities. And so we start praying as a church, as staff, saying, what do we do with that? What do we do with this? And, and believing we're supposed to continue to do some of those things where, where we can say, but we have a lot of things that could be done here, and we have a lot of needs and resources that need to be used here. But we said, but this is our chance to make a difference, even if that makes us uncomfortable. And sometimes it makes us really uncomfortable. We start praying, saying, we believe we can build over the next five years 10 homes to rescue people from living in trash. Like, we believe as a church, we could build a community ourselves over the next five years. We believe that's what we're called to do. Now, that's coming in the future. They said right away we have some churches back out. We have need for a church to go down this October, October 1st to the 8th. And I said, well, I don't know if we can do that or not. But I said, I'll put it out there. So if anybody's interested in going along on, on, on a trip this year still, it's only five months away, which is vastly uncomfortable for a lot of us who've been there before and know the amount of work that needs to be put in. But if you want to join us, let us know that today. Fill out a connection card and say, hey, I'm interested in the Honduras trip. That might or might not happen. We'll see where the Spirit leads on that. We start saying, man, this is our chance to, to really sink into this message and say, how can we get to a spot where the Spirit's leading us to those moments of being uncomfortable, even though it might not be comfortable, the Spirit says, I'm going to partner alongside of you. And when he does that, he says, here's the power, here's my power alive in you, and I'm going to lead you into a conversation, I'm going to lead you in a situation where it seems like it's really, really uncomfortable, but I'm going to be there with you, I'm not going to let you go. For me, I start thinking, when was the moment I most, in my life, when was the moment I most experienced that? And I remember one of the years that I went to the Dominican Republic, we were actually working with a different school in the DR, and um, we were helping to put up, a, I think it was a tech center for their school, and we were working, and, and one of the things they cautioned us is, listen, don't leave the immediate area around the school, and, and even when you go across the street, make sure you have team members and stuff with you. Well, we were at lunch, and some of the, some of the team members had gone across the street to get a soda for lunch. And they came back and I had a whole bunch of more people on our team and said, hey, I want a soda too. And so one of the translators offered to take me across the street to the little store that's set up and said, hey, let's go get a soda across the street. So I start to walk over there and the translator, who I've only known for about a day and a half at this point, uh, says, oh, that store's closed. We've got to go to the one down the road. And uh, so I paused for a second and said, how far down the road are we going? <laughs> and he said, just right there. I said, okay, we'll go there. And so we get there and he starts speaking Spanish to the person. I don't know what's going on. 
And he says, oh, I want to get you guys the big, they sell like big three liter bottles of Pepsi. And he says, I want to get you a big, or, or Coke. And he says, I want, to, I want to get one of those big three liter bottles of Coke so you can take it back for your whole team. And they don't have any here. Let's go to the next store. And before I know it, we've bounced back and forth down all these different blocks going to these different stores. And I'm realizing, like, he's speaking Spanish. I don't know what he's saying. He could be saying, hey, let's take this guy and take him as far away as possible. And I know I'm a big guy, but I don't know where I'm going at. By this point, I turn around and I say, I don't even know my way back from here. The only guy that I know within, within blocks of anybody I know in the world is this guy who I met a day and a half ago, and I don't know who he is. And he kept bouncing further and further back and speaking to different people, and, and finally I said, all right, if we don't get it at this store, we're heading back. And finally we get our three-liter bottle of, of Coke, and we start to walk back, and, and as we're walking back, he stops, he says, hey, JJ, I forgot, we need to get ice. He's like, you go ahead, and I'll just stop at this other store, and I'll get ice. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> you stay right here. We're going to go. We don't need ice. But the thing was, when I was walking back, I, I was thinking, I'm like, how did I get this far away from everybody else that I know? I started praying, saying, God, I, you called me to come here, and, and maybe I was unwise about some decisions I made along this, this way, but God, you, you called us to come here. And right now, it's probably the most freaked out I've been and I'm not acting like on the, end, on the outside, but on the inside, I'm like, I don't even know the way back from here. I said, God, I need your spirit right now to be that comforter in my life, to help me out, to guide me to truth. And I didn't tell my wife about this for a couple of weeks after that. <laughs> but but I, God, I, I need you right now to be that comforter because on the inside right now, I'm scared. Sometimes as believers, the best thing we could do is to say, God, I know that you want your power, your spirit to empower me. But when I take those steps of faith, I take those steps of obedience, that's a little bit scary for me. But I want to be faithful. And as I'm faithful, as you lead me to spots of being uncomfortable, I want your spirit to come alongside and be the comforter for me. When I can't be comfortable myself because of my situation, I need your spirit to be comfort for me. When my situation it's, it's telling me this situation is not good. It's, not, it, it does, it, it's stretching. You're, you're growing a whole lot, but, but it doesn't seem like really where you want to be. The Spirit says, okay, I know you're not comfortable, but that's exactly where I want you to be because now you're not relying on your own comfortability. You're relying on my comfort. I'm now being your comforter in your life, and that's how things are supposed to be. That's His function in our lives as believers is to comfort us when, when we're experiencing His power and it's stretching us beyond our means for Him to serve as that comforter. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth revealed in your word about, about who you are. God, we believe that, that your function as father, your function as, as son, and your function as, as a spirit, they're all very, very different and all unique. And yet they all work together in the Godhead to bring us exactly what we need. God, I apologize for times that we maybe even as a church, we might neglect what the spirit's function is in our life. God, help us to experience his power and his presence today, right now. Help us as individuals to, to pray. Say, God, we want your spirit as he indwells us to, to change us, to mold us, and, and to push us forward with his power. To have victory. To lead people to Jesus. To see a change in our community. Because, God, it's not, the, it's not the power of the church that's going to change them. It's not the power of good people that's going to change our world. It's the power of your spirit. And so, God, we pray for that right now. We pray for absolute surrender on our part to realize his strength, his power in our life. We love you, we thank you in Jesus' name.